episode number 68. This is a test. This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test. Welcome to the Torah Podcast. Lessons from authentic Judaism. Get the tools and inspiration you need for personal growth. Hosted by Rabbi Mitterhoff. Shalom, this is Rabbi Eliyahu Mitterhoff with this week's Torah Podcast. This week we have the Torah portion, Akev, Are We Being Tested? Jewish Suffering. We're going to have a powerful parable about the silver thieves, a great story about Rev Avraham, the brother of the Groa, and peace in your home, giving leads to love. And now, the Torah portion of the week, with novel ideas from the classic commentaries. So in Devarim chapter 8, Pasuk 3, it says like this, He afflicted you and left you hungry, and he fed you the manna that you did not know, nor did your forefathers know, in order to make known that not by bread alone does man live, rather, by everything that emanates from the mouth of God does man live. So verse 16 continues and says, Who feed you the manna in the wilderness, which your forefathers knew not, in order to afflict you and in order to test you, to do good for you in the end. So the verses are telling us that Hashem left us hungry, then He came along and fed us the manna, but the whole thing was a test in order that it should be good for us in the end. So the Chafetz Chaim explains, he says like this, Sending them hardships was Hashem's way of testing their loyalty to Him. Furthermore, the word Nisecha, which means to test you, also comes from the word to uplift. Like the verse says, raise up the banner over the nations, like we find in the Zohar. So the Chavit Chaim says that these two explanations fit well together. Why? Because the Jewish people overcome trials and tests. They get raised up above the other nations. The whole world sees how the Jews are able to suffer and withstand all these tests for thousands of years. And he brings the Barashi's Rabbah that says, Akadish Baruch Hu does not elevate a person to greatness until first he tests them. Anybody who's going to raise up to be great is going to have to be tested. That's just the way it works. When it doesn't mean a person has to give up his life, no, he just has to go through a hardship. And any suffering he does for the sake of God, by doing God's will, by doing the right thing, by standing up for the right thing, all the suffering that he goes through that uplifts him. Chazad tells us, HaKadosh Baruch gave us three precious gifts. All of them are only acquired by hardship. Torah, the land of Israel, and the world to come. So the Midrash says, Happy is the person who withstands trials, for there is no one that HaKadosh Baruch does not subject to trials. And the Maisel Lamelech and the Chabad Chaim explains that this takes away a lot of the complaints that people have about Israel. Because we know the amount of suffering is always according to the reward. If someone wants to have the privilege of being in Eretz Yisrael, he must endure a great amount of suffering to match the great value of Eretz Yisrael, the spiritual value of being here. Same thing in regards to Torah. The amount a person has to suffer, to hold on, to stay in learning, to push away sleep, all that suffering allows him to acquire Torah. And he says, all the more so in the next world. If a person wants to gain life in eternity, so he's going to have to go through what it takes to gain that eternal life. The Gemara of Odessara says, I send them suffering in this world to strengthen their hands for the world to come. And the Malbim says, achieving spiritual success requires affliction. 
the subjugating of one's physical faculties so that the spirit could dominate. And that's why the Jews spent 40 years going through the desert, which is what the Pusik said, that Hashem should afflict us to subjugate their physical faculties to the hardships of the desert and also to elevate their spiritual faculties by seeing all the miracles. So there's a difference between a bechina, which means an examination, and a nisayon, a test or a trial. A bechina brings out the things that already exist. You test something to see how it is. But a nisayon brings out something new. A trial brings a person to a higher plane. It brings out latent spiritual powers. And that's what the Jews went through the desert. Just as a man chastises his son, so too Hashem will chastise you. A wise, loving father who hopes to put his son in possession of vast wealth will chastise and punish the boy while he's still a young child, training him strictly in good behavior and fear of God. And then when the child grows up and he's going to possess this great inheritance, he won't become corrupt in all of his wealth and chase after the whims of his heart. So too, that's what Hashem did to us before he became a Tarot Yisrael. Hashem, your God, is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks of water, of springs, of underground waters. He first afflicted you with wandering and hunger in order to train you on the path of spirituality and righteous behavior. Because in the future, you're going to lack nothing. If the Jews would go in the way of God, we would lack nothing. So first, a person has to go through tests. If you're going to go up in spirituality, by definition, a person is going to be tested. The Ramban says like this, and God tested Avram in Bereshis. From the perspective of the person, from Avram himself, or the person being tested, it's a test. But Hashem knows that the person is going to pass the test. It's to bring out the potential in the person and make it actual. And therefore, God tests the Siddiqim, the righteous people, because He knows they're going to pass the test. They're going to go to this new higher level. So He sends them the suffering. He makes it hard for them, because He knows they're going to hold on and they're going to be matzliach, successful. And Rav Sajigon says, God does not test a person who cannot endure it because it serves no purpose. What's the point of testing a person if they're going to fail anyway? The purpose of afflicting the righteous is in order that mankind should know that God did not choose them for nothing. That's the purpose, to lift up the Sadiqim, the righteous people, to show the world the right way, to show their worthiness. But a person is going to fail, Hashem doesn't test them. But that's the worst situation. God forbid it means like a God gave up on you. And the Orachayim explains that since God knew we were going to suffer in the desert, that's why he gave us the man. Why? Because he says the man is a food that's easy to digest. This is unbelievable. We don't want a person, God forbid, to go through a very difficult time, a veilis, they go through a hard time. You can't eat. So Hashem gave us spiritual food, food that was easy to digest. Because he knew that we're going to be tested in the desert. We're going to suffer in the desert. So therefore, Hashem helped us by giving us the man, which is easier to digest. It's unbelievable. So if a person is being tested, what should he do? So Rav Desler brings the Gemara in Shabbos 32a that says like this. If a person goes out to the market and he sees people fighting with each other and shouting at each other, he should consider himself as if he's been summoned to court for judgment. And if he has a headache... He should think that he's about to be hauled off in chains. And if he's so sick that he has to lie down, he should think that he has a death penalty and they're about to kill him. So what should he do in such a situation? He should get himself great lawyers. And what are the great lawyers? Repentance and good deeds. And even if he has 999 accusers, 
All he needs is one for his defense. Throw so Deslayer. That seems strange. What's ninety? What's nine hundred ninety-nine against one? The answer is like this: a person has to be very sensitive. If they see they're having problems, they have a headache, they don't feel well. This is happening to them. They're screaming and yelling outside. There's problems going around them. He should take the hint now and rectify the problem. So if you, if you catch it early, you'll be able to stop the suffering. That's the one against the 999. So even a small merit at that point will save him from a great danger. However, if he already waits till things get worse, he's going to have to take much more drastic matters in order to save himself. And not only that, but if he's already in a real bad situation, his tshuva is going to be worth less. Why? Because the guy's suffering. Who knows what's happening to the guy so he does tshuva. But if a guy sees a little thing go wrong and already did tshuva, it means he's on a much higher level. He's going to get more schar for that, more merit. But even if you do tshuva because of a big thing, it still counts. And he says that's what's going to happen before the Mashiach comes. Before the Mashiach comes, it's going to be stirring events. So any Jew who's connected even a little bit to Yiddishkeit, to Judaism, is going to come back because they're going to see the world being destroyed in front of them. But that's not the point. The point is to do tshuva before. When the Nisayon comes, when the test comes, when the hardship comes, is to grab yourself right then and there and think what's going wrong because everything that happens is Minish Shemayim. If you go to the Shuk and people are fighting, it's Minish Shemayim. It means God's trying to show you something. That's the sensitivity we're supposed to have. So Rav Hirsch explains that the test that we had in the desert was unbelievable. Why? What is the most basic, fundamental thing that a human being is tested on? That's food. A person doesn't have food, they can't think straight. There's no chance of spirituality at all. They said that one of the worst things about the Holocaust was that the people said they felt they were reduced to animals because the only thought they could have was about food. They couldn't think beyond that. The mind wasn't capable to think conceptual things. They're thinking about food and water and sleep. That's it. When those things are missing, it's a tremendous test. And that's what happened in the desert. 600,000 Jews and all their families went out into the desert with no water and no food. Can you imagine such a thing? But what happened? Hashem provided us with man. A food, a bread that never in the history of the world existed. Rev Hirsch continues like this, he says, Normally a person feels they have to go out and bring their sustenance. They have to go out and bring their money. So it's up to them to take care of their families. And not only that, it goes even further. They feel responsibility to take care of their grandchildren and maybe even their great-grandchildren. There's no end. Because it's the most important thing. How are people going to live? There's no food. How do you live? So what do we do? We persuade ourselves that's what we have to do with our lives. It's very important. It's a very good cause to support our families and support our children and our grandchildren, even our great-grandchildren. What could be greater than that? The answer is the enemy of great is good. Of course, it's a good thing. But what's going to happen then? A person will completely forget about any level of spirituality. or All day focused on bringing food. We have no, we'll have no time for spiritual or moral concerns. There's no time for that. So what did Hashem do? He took us into the desert. And He took away any possibility. you got to hear this. He took away any possibility of making a parnasa. Where are you going to work in the desert? What are you going to do? 
You're going to spend all day doing what? Digging sand? He took away Am Yisrael's possibility of working all day, of spending the time and thinking about Parnassah. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to show us what's really important. And he wanted us to know that Hashem is the one taking care of us. And that's what the Pasuk says. In order to teach you that not on bread alone can man live, rather man can live on anything that comes from the mouth of God. God's taking care of us. He's giving us the man. And even our parnasim, when we work for it, it's only the blessing of Hashem that we're matzliach, that we're successful. And that's why Hashem wanted to put into the souls of the Jewish people, to train them for generations, 40 years in the desert, to implant in us, that he is taking care of us. And yes, you can go after spirituality. And yes, you can focus on morality. And not to worry. Not to be stuck down in the test of parnasa, of sustenance. I just want to bring down with Chaim Shmuelavich who speaks later in the Parsha. On this Pasuk, the famous Pasuk. And now Yisrael, what does Hashem your God ask of you? Only... And then it says, and to serve your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So the Midrash says, when the tribes were at the splitting of the Red Sea, they said, I'm not going to be the first one to go in. What happened? Nakshan jumped up and went in. So Chaim Shmuel what do you mean they weren't going to go into the Yom? To the yam? We know that simple Jews for generations in the Holocaust and the Inquisition, they sacrificed their lives for Judaism. What was stopping the tribes from going into the water? And we know the earlier generations were on a higher level than the later generations. So why they didn't want to go? So he wants to explain that the Jews weren't commanded to sacrifice their lives. That they would have done. They were commanded to go into the water and come out on the other side. As if the water was dry land. And it was only Nakshan who had the level of a moon in faith. That he understood that God himself is the reality. And if God says go forward, he went forward. And that's exactly what happened. The sea became dry land. But he explains after that, this was the quality of the Jewish people as a whole. Like it says, I have remembered the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothal. When you did go after me in the wilderness, a land that was not sown. So it wasn't the sacrifice of their lives. That wasn't the hard part. The hard part is to go forward with God and to live. Not to die for God, but to live for God. When things are difficult, when there's an ocean in front of you, you don't know where to go. You feel stuck. What's suffering? Suffering, part of suffering means feeling stuck. I can't go on. I can't move. How can I go forward? The answer is the person has to have faith in God. That's his test. And he has to know that Hashem will help him and he will be able to go forward. And with this, Rebchaim Shmuel Levish wants to explain that when Hanani and the other Navim jumped into the fire to sacrifice their lives, so Tosos has a kasha there. He says, wait a second, at that time there was already no real Avodah So they were being forced not really to do real Avodah Why would they sacrifice themselves? And how could they jump in the fire if they knew they were going to die? So he wants to answer, no, they jumped in the fire because they knew they were going to live. They understood that God was with them. They passed the test. They had real faith and they went forward knowing that they were going to be saved. So I just want to end off with Rav Noam that says on the same Pasuk, 
What does Hashem ask for you? So in Hebrew, the same word for ask is also the same shorish as to borrow. So if you read it literally, it says, what does Hashem borrow from you? The answer is Hashem wants to borrow you. If you have faith that Hashem is going to Kilo borrow you in order to give you blessing, He's going to borrow you in order to benefit you. And we have to know that this whole world is a test. It's a nisayon. Eretz Yisrael is only acquired through hardship. And Torah is only acquired through hardship. And the next world is only acquired through hardship. And it's a totally different perspective of what life is about. It's not about running after pleasures. It's about doing the right thing. And passing all of our tests that we can receive the blessings from Hashem. Here is a powerful parable. The Magid Maduba brings the verse in order to test you, to ultimately benefit you. So he says, one time there was a guy who had a lot of beautiful silver and gold and lots of jewelry. And the collection was very valuable. But he was a villager. He lived in a village. But he was, so he was scared to keep his stuff in a small village. So what did he do? He gave all of it to a friend who lived in a big city. And he was going to shomer it. He was going to guard it for him. So, of course, what happened? One day, thieves broke in and stole all of the stuff. So he sent a messenger to inform him that all of his things have been stolen. So as soon as he heard that, he instructed his family to hitch up the horses and chase after the thieves on the path near the village. So the messenger says, well, how do you know that the thieves are taking this path? So he answered, why do you think my friend sent you in such a hurry? My friend is very wise. It must be because he understood from the way the thieves spoke that they were going to flee in this direction. So what's the nimshal? So to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He sends us tests. And if we look at the root of the matter, right away we'll be understand why this thing is happening and we'll be able to change it and fix it in order that he can bestow goodness upon us. It's time for Great Stories About Great Rabbis. In Devarim 8.5, it says like this, You shall know in your heart, just as a father will chastise his son, so to Hashem your God will chastise you. And when a person accepts God's reproof and improves his ways, then he should take joy in his suffering, because it helped him to achieve his new level. And he should thank Hashem for them as if he would for the rest of his success. In other words, for the suffering itself, he thanks Hashem. This is a famous story of the brother of the Vilna Gon, Rav Avraham. He was very, very sick. His whole body was covered with sores. But nobody heard him sigh. He wasn't complaining at all. So his son came to him. He was crying. Abba, it's horrible for me to see you in such a state of suffering. So his father said, Why are you crying about this great gift that Hashem has granted me? If only I had the strength, I would dance and sing with music about the great benefit that God has given me in this pain. And you're crying? They claim that he didn't stop being happy until he passed away. He understood that his suffering was for his good. Learn to give, love, and communicate. This is Peace in Your Home. Rav Simcha Cohen continues. He's talking about giving. So we know that giving leads to love. Since man was created in the image of God, and God is merciful and benefit. So too, man should be merciful in giving. Just like God gives and he doesn't receive, so too shall our focus be on giving. 
So Rav Duster explains that love comes from giving. And it's normal. The things that a person invests in, that's what he comes to love. He explains that this selfish love in the end comes to be a beautiful thing. It works as a positive force. When parents love their children and give to them, the children develop, they love them even more. Because they invested themselves in that child and they love them. But the question is, does the giver always love to give? And does the receiver always love to receive? The answer is no. Because if a person feels that he's obligated to give, he's not going to want to give. I have to give. And if he feels forced, he's not going to develop love. On the other hand, if the person receiving feels embarrassed, and he feels that the person is not really giving to him because he wants to with an open hand and a free heart, the receiver is going to feel bad. So we have to make sure we give and receive in the right way. Giving and receiving is what creates the emotional bond between people. When you give to a person, they feel, this other person must value me. I have value. But that's only if the person is really giving. If the person is not giving in the right way and they're doing a favor, so it's going to seem like a burden to both sides. You give an example, sometimes you go to an office and the clerk is really nasty there. But as soon as you tell them, wow, you're doing a great job, you're doing a good thing, so then the clerk feels good. And the clerk says back, I'm only doing my job. Yeah, <laughs> a minute ago, you were also only doing your job when you were in a bad mood. But it's only once you, explain, you expressed your thanks and you made them feel that you're really happy with them, so that it made them feel good. Because it made them feel that their job of giving had value. But if one of the couples is constantly giving because they feel compelled to give and it's a demand, it's going to generate the opposite. It's going to generate hate and resentment. There's a lot of giving that has to be done. And everybody's asking who's going to do this and who's going to do that. And everybody has a good excuse why not to do it. You do it better. You did it before. It's a man's work. It's a woman's work. Or if they get stuck, they say, well, it's not the end of the world. We'll do it tomorrow. It's no big deal the baby's crying a little bit. It's healthy for the baby. And most couples really remain one-sided. They feel, each one feels, that I should be on the receiving end of this relationship. That's human nature. So what has to be done is we have to make it easier for the other person to give. He gave an example. One time a woman was saying, every time my husband asks for something, he yells. I don't understand. So he said to her, well, maybe when he asks nicely, you don't give. So she saw that that was true, and she changed it. But what happens if you're trying to get and the other person want to give? You start to give orders, you start to raise your voice, you start to get angry. And what happens to the other side? They start to rebel. If you put too much pressure, the other side's going to rebel. And even if they don't rebel because they're scared, it's only temporary. Then they're going to rebel later. Maybe they calm down for a while, they're scared. But they will rebel. And then what starts to happen? They have inappropriate behavior. And it just leads to further deterioration. So he says you have to make a chilek like this. A chilek between what the other person wants and what the other person needs. But it's not what you think. You have to express that you need this thing, not that you want it. If the person who wants to receive something, they just say, I want this, I want this. So the other person just feels, what's going on with this person? But if they express it in a way that I need it, and they admit that they need it, because that's really what they feel. When a person says they want something, they feel that they need it. So on the receiving end, you have to tell the other person, no, I really need this thing. Then the other person will be happier to give it to you. He gives an example. Sometimes the guy wants to make a right-hand turn. He's in the middle lane. And he wants to turn right all of a sudden. 
So if he just pushes, his, he goes to the front and he pushes his car when there's a red light, he goes in the front a little bit and he blocks the other guy. The other guy starts getting aggravated, starts honking his horn and cursing at him. But if he honks his horn a little bit and he knocks on the window and he says, listen, can you let me in? So the guy lets him in. So what's the difference? The difference is that the other, before that, you said, I want. I want to make a right. Who are you? I don't need you. But once you admit, I need you. Yes, I need you. Please let me in. So the other person feels calm. Oh, I'm going to give somebody who needs. Somebody who wants, I'm not going to give. Somebody who needs, surely I'll give. Because nobody wants to feel they're being taken advantage of. And the problem is that your spouse is the only one who can really fulfill your emotional needs. Your material, spiritual, and emotional needs are on your spouse. So you feel stuck. So Bezrat Hashem, next week, we're going to talk more about how to get your needs met and how to meet the other person's needs. Okay, that's it for this week's Torah podcast. Please share it with your friends and please leave comments. Thank you for listening. To get more enthusiasm for your Judaism, become a free member at globalyeshiva.com.